Hey there, you're listening to the Water and Music Podcast, where we unpack the fine print of big ideas at the intersection of music and tech, featuring a curated slate of innovators, leaders, artists, and thinkers from across the music business. I'm your host, Sherry Hu. Today's guest is Amit Gorekhsani, a Mumbai-based freelance music journalist who contributes regularly to publications including Billboard, Music Ally, and First Post. This past summer, in July 2019, Amit was one of the first writers to report on the controversy around Bad Shah, an artist signed to Sony Music India who openly admitted to buying views on YouTube in order to break the platform's record for most views in the first 24 hours. That's a practice that YouTube formally banned shortly thereafter. I met Amit at the All About Music conference in Mumbai later that summer and wanted to bring him on as a guest for my podcast to dive deeper into his research process behind uncovering this news around Sony Music and Badshaw, as well as the overall implications in terms of the wider normalization of paid views on YouTube around the world. From there, we also extended to talking about wider trends in India's music industry with a focus on the impact of streaming and the current positioning of independent and emerging artists in the country. Some of those trends include how language might be more important than genre in determining an artist's success in the Indian music market, why the terms non-film music and independent music are both flawed in an Indian context, what the first ever India charts for Spotify and YouTube, which both launched this year, reveal about local music preferences, and why charts in general have always been meaningless, and why that maybe isn't always a bad thing. For those of you who are relatively new to the Indian music landscape, I highly recommend you read the full hyperlinked transcript that accompanies this episode. I include the names and linked videos of several of the artists we mentioned during our conversation whom you might have not heard about before. You can find a link to that transcript in the show notes. Without further ado, here's Amit, Gurbaksani, and myself. Hope you enjoy. Amit Gurbaksani on the show. Amit, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. I have a ton of questions for you, but for this episode, I want to focus specifically on the growing amount of buzz and concern around the practice of buying views on YouTube. Because from my understanding, you were the first journalist to report for Billboard specifically that YouTube was taking an unusually long amount of time to confirm what would have supposedly been a brand new record on their platform for the most views on a video within 24 hours. This was back in July 2019, an artist signed to Sony Music India named Badshah claimed to top 75 million views in 24 hours for the video for his song, Poggle. That would have broken the K-pop group BTS's previous record of 74 million views in that same time period. As he'd written, Sony had bought out a full print ad in local newspapers in India celebrating the new milestone, but YouTube neither confirmed nor denied the milestone to you for a whole week. They wouldn't say anything. And then Badshaw himself revealed that he was able to quote-unquote break the 24-hour viewing record because he used something called TrueView, which is an advertising feature on YouTube 
to essentially feed his music video to viewers as a pre-roll ad on other videos and then have those truncated views count towards the actual view count displayed on the original video itself. And interestingly to me, it actually wasn't until two months after all of this that YouTube finally made an official announcement barring paid views from their charts and from 24-hour view reports. But if I understand this correctly, that doesn't mean that advertising money couldn't still be spent to increase views, and as a result, the public view counts on videos today still include paid views anyway. So in the instance of Bad Shot and Sony, paid views would still be and probably still are included in the public tally for the Poggle video. And that's still a signal that Sony could point to in marketing and ad campaigns for the future. Before addressing the overall issue of paid views, I wanted to touch upon what you think this means in the rather complex and nuanced context of the Indian music industry. And uh, I would love to hear more about what you were thinking as you were reporting on this issue over the last couple of months. Did the revelation about labels buying views surprise you at all? Or to what extent do you think it might be indicative of wider trends and practices in the local music industry, especially with respect to marketing? Sure. You know, when YouTube sort of took their time to confirm Bacha's record, I sort of started digging around a bit. I found that this was not the first time that, you know, somebody had claimed to, to sort of have like the highest views in 24 hours. And I found that it, this happened with a couple of uh, Indian music videos. And I think that's because YouTube is... I mean, it is the biggest music consumption platform in India right now. We are their fastest growing market and I think also their largest market. And music is a big part of that. But what really sort of got me curious was the fact that Pagal by Bacha was nowhere on YouTube's chart. That was what sort of really uh, sort of stood out for me. And I saw that and I felt that something's amiss because they're not confirming this record. If it's 75 million views, the chart runs from uh, Friday to Thursday, as most music charts do. This video was out on a Wednesday. They claimed the record on a Thursday. I wrote to them on the Thursday. Then they said, we need some more time. You know, it was a weekend, Saturday, Sunday. You know, there was no hope of sort of hearing back from them. But on Sunday, the chart was out and Pagal wasn't on it. If a song has 75 million views and it's broken the 24-hour record, it should be number one or at least somewhere, you know, in the top five. It wasn't anywhere there. And then I found that, you know, there were quite a few of these instances. Like one of them was a song called Slowly Slowly, which was by Guru Randwa, who is a Punjabi music singer, where he collaborated with Pitbull, claimed to have one of the highest views. And that didn't appear the week they claimed the record, but then it appeared the next week. So, you know, this is something that I think that is fairly common among Indian music labels. And I, I mean, I do believe that it's not just an in, a practice in music and Indian music industry. It happens, for example, in the Latin music industry as well, because YouTube is so big for that market. Yes, there was actually a great feature about paid YouTube views in Rolling Stone that was published just a week before YouTube made their official announcement banning paid views from their charts. Uh, the article focused on the Latin music industry and the numbers reported are pretty interesting. The author wrote that major labels can shell out as much as six figures in spending to help boost views for YouTube videos in the first 24 hours, yeah. and that that can result in over 10 million additional views to a given song. When I was in Mumbai, I talked to a local music tech executive about this issue, and I won't say his name, but he did come from the major label system, so he was evidently biased. 
And in fact, he was in support of this practice of buying views uh, because he saw it for what it was. His take was something like, views are just a matter of sampling. Views are a reflection of how many people sample a given video or other piece of content, regardless of whether they actually end up watching the whole thing, let alone rewatch it. And if you have the legal means through advertising to increase that sampling pool, you should use it and you should invest in it. I'm not necessarily sold on that argument uh, personally, especially because it still has enormous implications for any artist or label that's not a major or who's kind of outside of the mainstream ecosystem in terms of how much they can really compete, especially with lower budgets. I would love to get your thoughts on that argument that that buying views is valid because it's just a matter of sampling and subsequently that view counts on these videos are a reflection not so much of popularity per se, but of how many people sampled a given piece of content. You know, I've spoken to uh, label executives as well, and sort of they all have this argument that, hey, it's the same thing as TV, for instance. Now, apparently on TV here, on music television here, if you want to get a song on air, it's free for the first two weeks, and then you have to pay. Their argument is that this is just another uh, means of promotion. It's a legal means of promotion. And oh, there's no reason why anybody should have a problem with it. My view is that my, my thing with YouTube especially is that it's problematic that those, those view counts are being counted. I think that's a major issue that like they're paid views, call them paid views. If it's a promotion, let it be explicitly known and treated as a promotion. You know, I certainly don't think that this means a proportion should, should be banned or like, you know, prohibited or anything like that. It's a fair means of promotion. Go ahead. You know, if you want to use it as a sampling method, let people hear the song for 30 seconds. It's their choice whether they want to hear the whole thing or not. But don't let it be included in your view count. Don't say that 100 million people have watched this. It's supposed to be an on-demand streaming platform, and it's called an on-demand platform for a reason. You know, and the argument with like sort of TV is, firstly, two wrongs don't make a right. Secondly, you know, you don't see that number on TV. You don't know. You don't. It doesn't say that this song has been viewed so many times, or uh, you know, on television. So it's kind of different. I mean, you know, so it's not exactly quite the same thing. Yes, I mean, if you're saying it's a means of promotion, go ahead and promote songs on it. But don't say that these are that many people that have actually watched the song, you know, have consumed the song because they haven't. They have been sort of forced fed it hmm. in a way. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. And in general, what really stands out to me about this methodology of buying TrueView ads to boost views is that it removes that boundary between promotion and consumption or between label promotion and consumer action. Yeah. So like by promoting the video through an advertisement on YouTube, it then counts as a stream. And then even though, you know, the per stream average payment rate for YouTube tends to be super low, it does still count towards the equivalent of a sale, right? Or at least that's how it's interpreted. Yeah. And there isn't really the equivalent of a TrueView ad system for audio streaming quite yet. And I think it's a lot more difficult to fake views or to buy views on audio streaming services without having your content or your user account being taken down. But I see a very similar dynamic even there where you can sample a song for a little bit as a consumer and ultimately not really care. Maybe you'll even forget about the song in an hour but it still counts as a stream and goes towards royalty calculations for artists, labels, publishers, everyone in that rights ecosystem. So yeah, in general, that dynamic is super interesting to me. 
So in this case, are you saying that because the boundary between promotion and consumption is blurred amidst this current ad-driven system on YouTube, that that boundary should kind of be delineated more clearly? Like, are you saying that the publicly displayed views should only be reflecting those views that are not bought, or that there should be some kind of clarification around the proportion of views in a video that were paid for versus more organic? Yeah, I, I just, just simply don't count the paid views, right? If you have the song being promoted and sort of showing up on, on YouTube for people, they're getting to sample it, which is your purpose. You, If that's what your main goal is, but you're saying that I want to pay for this and I want it to be counted as a, ironically, true view, but that's not really what it is, right? I mean, I think that it's also notable to take into consideration that YouTube announced this, uh, announced that they want, you know, going to count these uh, fake views or sort of paid views for their charts. And just a little while later, they announced India charts. And, you know, India charts have been something that I have really been pushing for since the day they launched those 43 charts for other territories. And I just didn't understand why they didn't uh, launch a chart for India because we are, like I said, their biggest market now. But it's interesting that those two things happen so closely. But, you know, I've been of the view that they have never counted paid views for the charts. And it's quite, and you can see this, just taking the Baucha example, for instance, if paid views did count for their charts, that song would have been on the chart. But it has not, Till date, it has not appeared on YouTube's uh, weekly charts. So that that's it. And I think that when you do this, when you stop, when you stop allowing paid views to be included in the view count, you will soon find that there is no discrepancy between the view count that you see on the charts and the view count that you see below the video. You know, and I think that will solve a lot of problems. But obviously, record labels look, you know, should be okay with that. I mean, I don't think I don't know how many of them would be okay with that. Also, because you know, YouTube is such a huge marketing. Like I said, it's the biggest platform there. One of the biggest marketing sort of tools here is that little thumbnail that you see and where you see like the number of views in that thumbnail. And then it's very common to Indian music videos where they will put like 169 million views or 357 million views or 956 or some random number, you know, just to sort of show you the number of views. And they, what they do is they combine the lyric video and the official music video. They put them together and say, OK, over 500 million views. And, you know, that number has become like this huge kind of like advertisement for songs the the idea is that if something's got so many views it must be good and therefore people want to want to click on it so definitely the labels have a vested interest in this not being the case of like paid views being included in the view count so i mean if youtube does that that would that would be the ideal scenario Hmm. yeah i also wonder how much of this uh preoccupation with youtube is also tied to the relative popularity and dominance of Bollywood. Uh, I'm thinking a kind of cliche but true statement that I heard from a lot of people in India while I was there was that people don't listen to music, they watch music. And that behavioral trend makes a ton of sense given people's association of the most popular music of the day with film soundtracks. And so it also makes sense that YouTube would be the primary marketing platform for this kind of music industry and that people would want to pump up views specifically on that platform because it does cater so closely to the visual culture that already is there around consuming music. Yeah, definitely. And also because you have to understand that we haven't really had radio, you know, as a, uh, historically we haven't had really, we haven't really had radio. I mean, back in the day we had like one main broadcaster, which was the state broadcaster, All India Radio. And for the longest time, film music was actually banned 
on All India Radio because it wasn't considered like culturally, it wasn't considered sort of, you know, culturally sound or whatever. And people would have to sort of pilot, listen to sort of like how people do VPN, use VPNs now and to, like, you know, to access foreign website, people would listen to uh, Radio Ceylon, which was this uh, station run out of Sri Lanka and they'd sort of uh, listen to, because that would play Hindi film songs. And so they would listen to that. So we didn't really have a culture of radio for the longest time. And, and, but, you know, that's a previous generation. Current, even for the current generation, if you look at the 90s kids, the main way they sort of accessed music or new music was like MTV and like other sort of local music television stage channels. We didn't have FM radio here till, nine, uh, till 2001 privately owned sort of FM radio, you know, sometime in the mid-90s, All India Radio started selling their FM sort of bands to private radio stations. But like, so so you're talking about like a country that hasn't really had a history of, uh, you know, consuming music on radio. So that's why when you're seeing this sort of transition, now there are lots of audio streaming platforms. And look, it's not very expensive. They're all sort of these freemium kind of models. And you can actually listen to many of them. But... People prefer to uh, sort of, you know, listen to stuff on YouTube and place, put on music on YouTube and have it in the background. Or like you have like auto rickshaw drivers. They have YouTube on, on the dashboard, playing on the dashboard on their mobile phone and they're sort of driving around. Hopefully they're not watching it because their eyes are supposed to be on the road. But YouTube has reached the sort of the average Indian consumer, which audio streaming haven't yet done, even though they, they are sort of entering you know, uh, sort of tier two cities and towns and, you know, gradually they will go there. But for now, YouTube is really the biggest. Yeah. And so um, given that YouTube is so big and now zooming out a bit and thinking about the wider music industry in India, including but not limited to Bollywood soundtracks and what major labels are putting out, uh, I would love to get your thoughts on what you think the prevalence of buying YouTube views means for emerging artists with respect to their chances of standing out on the platform. With the Latin music industry specifically, there were a lot of concerns from independent labels in that region about not being able to compete just on a sheer dollar amount with bigger labels who were already paying so much money to boost views or just to pay for ads in general. And there's definitely a possibility that that practice and a growing reliance on specific tools like TrueView ads could end up making a huge financial dent in up-and-coming artists' budgets if they don't think more deeply about how to engage with fans or reach new fans and convert them elsewhere. Uh, I'm wondering if that's a concern that's come up in India, or if that's ever been voiced to you, or just what you think about that dynamic in general between you know, bigger labels who are paying for these kinds of promotions and everyone else. Sure. Uh, you know, in India, I think when you talk about emerging artists, you need to sort of separate them with emerging artists on labels, emerging artists that are sort of not on labels and are sort of truly independent. If you look at the independent artists as in the ones that aren't signed to a label, I mean, apart from hip-hop acts, a lot of the indie acts have never really bothered making music videos. They have sort of relied on other free platforms like SoundCloud or Bandcamp to spread their music. I mean, a good example is this electronic music producer called Nuclear, who's probably one of the sort of most popular independent acts in the country. He has always given out his music for free, you know, and he's barely made any music videos. So I think that the strategy there is that, look, it's super expensive to produce a music video. We make most of our money from live. We'll just spread our music through these other free platforms and we'll upload audio tracks onto YouTube. Again, it's certainly different to the hip-hop community because the hip-hop community, again, is sort of like 
again you have to sort of look at the social cultural context of india independent music there's different categories of it you know you have the rock and pop stuff has always been the slightly more upper middle class kind of english speaking community hip hop is more from sort of like broad based it's always in like uh, hindi or in a regional language and so the hip hop community really sort of used youtube as sort of the main medium again because it, it because it's free and it's easy to access but for the other sort of independent artists working in different genres i don't think it has sort of ever been a big part of their plans a lot of them as you might have seen is they sort of try and try up with brands to get sort of to get them to sponsor the music video or sort of you know do uh, basically some kind of in video endorsement or you know, product placement that kind of thing so i've seen that happen a little bit so it's it's a bit tricky in in that sense to define an emerging artist in india but yeah like i said i mean i think that it really depends on where you fit on that various you know the very definition of an emerging artist is and youtube is important to you depending on where you are on that scale yes and related to this conversation of uh you know paid views and how they impact emerging artists i think there's also a larger discussion to be had about the value or lack thereof of charts in general the youtube india charts are definitely super important because they're wasn't any really objective measure previously of how songs were performing on the platform but i came across this recent article in the economist that intrigued me because the title was quote the meaninglessness of music charts unquote the author took the stance that because there are so many different charts you could be looking at now not just on audio or video streaming platforms but also for social media for apps like Shazam, for live music and touring with apps like Bands in Town and on and on. The more charts there are, arguably, the less meaning they hold and the less meaning they hold, the harder it is to use them for their specific purpose, which is namely to measure one artist's success relative to that of another artist. For instance, if an artist is at the top of YouTube's weekly chart, but number 30 in Spotify's top 50 in say you know a certain market like India are they quote unquote more or less popular than someone who's like number 5 on both charts it's an interesting question to think about in that yeah you do no longer have one absolute measure of popularity or of market value or market share which i personally think is a good thing but i would love to get your thoughts on that in general especially in the context of India where aside from radio there haven't really been that many charts until recently with the advent of streaming in the country sure you know i'm a big chart geek i've been following like the billboard for the hot 100 since like since i was like 9 or something like that so here's what i think i think that the charts have always been meaningless the charts have always been meaningless because at the end of the day they're sort of like the epitome of a popularity contest and all popularity contests are ultimately meaningless just like award shows but like look charts are fun the charts are relevant and i think that they are even more relevant now because there's so many ways to measure popularity i mean that's just the way that sort of music has got fragmented over the last sort of couple of decades i mean you know even before the streaming era artists have been able to sell millions of tickets to live shows without ever reaching the top 40 of the billboard hot 100 or like you know uh, never having a number one album and you know that's sort of like that's just because the nature of a chart the chart talks about one specific song and how popular it is in any one specific week but 
right now because there are so many different ways to measure popularity. You need to have these different ways to tell you how popular somebody is. Cigarettes After Sex sold out the Opera House, which is a 500 capacity venue, but they sold it out in like minutes, you know. So, I mean, they're not a chart act, but like, you know, this is what streaming has done. I mean, like, no, if we have to have a chart that measured, for instance, the popularity of acts, you know, live acts, that would be amazing. You know, we don't have anything that like that. And the other problem with pop music that I have to say, with pop charts especially, is that like the pop music industry has always been ageist. Once you hear, you hit a certain age, you're just, radio is going to stop playing you. You're going to continue selling out stadiums. You're going to sell out arenas, but you may not be in the charts anymore. It's, I agree and disagree. I feel that the music charts have always been meaningless. I mean, and to say that the charts were more meaningful back in the day when we had only one chart, but remember, there were so many problems with the jack chart. We didn't have sound scan like until the 90s. Uh, and there was no way to actually accurately measure what people were buying. You know, I mean, now there's, we have more charts, but they're far more accurate, you know, and uh, they tell you much more newer things. I mean, they give you granular data that you never had before. Um, just to clarify that second point that you made. So do you think that having more charts now across all these different kinds of platforms is better for artists? Like, do you think that it maybe gives them more leverage with respect to measuring popularity in different ways? Or maybe giving them more power to fact check people who say that they are really high up on one chart when that might just be a very one dimensional and ultimately incomplete way of measuring an artist's reach. Well, I think that it's, you have to look at it like this, right? I mean, if you want to look at who is the most popular on streaming services, you do have a streaming chart. But then you have like streaming is so heavily sort of, you know, hip hop has so like over indexes on like streaming services, right? That's why you have genre charts. So you have like Billboard always publishing sort of genre charts. I mean, if you're an R&B act, it doesn't make any difference if like a metal band is selling like, you know, five times what you're selling because you're in the R&B market. Like I said, I mean, you have to look at it that way. And in the Indian context, we don't have charts for independent acts, but, you know, it doesn't really make any difference to an independent act what the number one Bollywood song is because, you know, that's not their, that's not their audience, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and to go back to YouTube's India charts specifically, I saw you wrote an article for First Post that analyzed some of the first rankings that came up on those charts. And one trend you mentioned briefly in that piece that's also really interesting to me is the difference in the most popular kinds of music on audio streaming services versus on YouTube. In particular, I think regional music has a much stronger and much wider presence on YouTube than on audio streaming services in India, which have a higher concentration of Bollywood and international music. Just to clarify for the listener, we're talking about consumption, not catalog. I think I have some of my own guesses for why those discrepancies might exist, but I would love to get your take on that as well. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, YouTube has sort of reached the average Indian. Audio streaming is primarily consumed by people in, like, say, sort of larger cities. So the kind of music that they listen to is obviously, they listen to a lot more international music. I mean, Bollywood is, I would say, equally strong on both. But, like, it's also the kind of Bollywood, when you look at it, you'll see a lot more older songs appearing on, on YouTube. So maybe it's people also consuming a lot more catalog on YouTube because if you listen mainly to Bollywood music, you're probably going to listen to be a mix of old and new. But if you listen to a mix of Bollywood and other genres, you're probably going to listen to the newer stuff. You know, that might be the case. But I think it's, again, it's just it's where those listeners are coming from. That's why you're getting more people in sort of 
in smaller cities and towns are obviously consuming more regional music, whereas people in sort of the metros listen to international music. Right. And if I remember correctly, one of the top six artists on Spotify's India chart uh, measured in the first six months that Spotify was available in India was BTS, kind of, you know, coming full circle here. And I mean, I would assume BTS is also super popular on YouTube in India, but that specific appearance on Spotify's chart was kind of a signal to me that international music and in this case, Korean music and K-pop in particular are doing especially well on a platform like Spotify that's trying to cater to more international rather than regional audiences in India. Yeah, but I think also with, with Spotify, what happened was that I think BTS had like the announcement video when they launched and said, follow us there. And, you know, that, that kind of thing makes a huge impact on their sort of fan base, their army and their fan base. And, and it's interesting to mention BTS because, I mean, if you go back to the whole Bacha story and the Pagal episode, I think the one thing that Sony didn't sort of keep in mind was that they were trying to break a record set by BTS. BTS is actually a Sony music artist. I mean, they are sort of side, they distributed through Columbia. So technically, they're part of the Sony music group. And I mean, obviously, they didn't realize that, you know, you're taking on the army here. And it was the army that was sort of really vehement about the fact that, look, you know, the, 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 there's something's amiss here, that this song has got these many views in such a short time and it, it doesn't seem right. I think that's what really prompted Bacha himself to almost sort of out himself with an Instagram story saying that this is these are not fake views, these are paid promotions and it's perfectly legal. You know, so obviously, I think that they didn't figure, they didn't factor in BTS, that you, you're saying that we're going to break BTS's record. Right, right. Oh man, that could be a whole other podcast episode, I think, in terms of the dynamics of unintended internal competition within a major label across countries you know, two departments trying to break two different artists simultaneously. It didn't really matter which label BTS would be on, but just the fact that they were sort of, you know, not realizing that if you're saying we're going to make break this record and we're doing it in this slightly not so kosher way, you know, this is who you are sort of going up against. And I don't think they thought about that at all because of B- two things. I think one of the BTS fans didn't have, had like gone on about so strongly. And if you look at the comments below that video, it was all about BTS army saying that, you know, uh, this is all fake. Look at the disproportionate number of likes pointing out to stuff that maybe people would have missed. And the other thing about that song, I mean, is that I think that they really sort of misfired because they chose the wrong song. Because if it had been a song, it would have been a better song. The views would have sort of increased organically. Uh, you know, people would have been playing that song on their own. And the difference between the first day views and the first week views would not have been so stark. You know, I mean, we've seen this before and we know that, you know, it's not like Taylor Swift's label or some cake pop groups, their labels don't use some amount of paid promotion. They all do. I think the difference is that like the proportion of that is far less, right? You know, the, the number of people actually genuinely watching that is far higher with those videos. And that, that, that's one of the main differences, I think, in that case. Yes, right. If you're, you know, um, putting fuel behind a song that ultimately isn't that good, then it doesn't make that big of an impact. Super interesting point. My next question is not really related to YouTube or to buying views specifically, but is related to something that you touched upon earlier in terms of the nuances around what it means to be an emerging or quote-unquote independent artist in India. 
So at the most recent All About Music conference in Mumbai, I was tasked with moderating a panel about the rise of what is called non-film music. Having never been in India previously, I assumed for some reason that non-film music was simply the equivalent of independent music. And I think that maybe came up because of a wider perception in a lot of Western countries that the Bollywood industry is the equivalent of the major label industry, and that everything else is considered independent because it's not part of that film ecosystem. But I very quickly realized in talking with the panelists at this conference, as well as with attendees after the fact, that that dichotomy of non-film versus independent is just completely false. And if anything, a lot of indie artists don't even identify with the term non-film in the first place because they never thought about that difference anyway. You know, that prefix of non is irrelevant because they're just making music, full stop. I mean, it's problematic because, I mean, that means you're you're sort of, you're saying that an artist is only uh, seen in relation to Bollywood. Exactly, exactly. And you wrote a separate article for First Post about this complexity of defining what it means to be independent in India. And in that piece, you mentioned something that I've also noticed recently, which is that on one hand, yes, it is problematic to identify an artist only by their relation to Bollywood. But on the other hand, there are so many artists who might otherwise call themselves independent, who actually work super frequently for the Bollywood ecosystem too. Like they're working as songwriters, producers, session musicians, playback singers, or whatever other role is available to them to help make ends meet. You also mentioned a lot of other factors that might further complicate this question of independence, such as the language of the lyrics in the music, like whether artists who perform only in English should be considered as a totally separate group of artists from those who sing in Hindi, in Punjabi, or in any other regional language. Given the significant difference in demographics and geographic location, let alone, you know, of who speaks those languages. All of this is to say that I guess this conversation around independent artists is still very much evolving as we speak, but I'm wondering whether you're seeing any other kind of designations come up aside from the blanket term of quote-unquote independent that might help clarify the way an artist makes money today, or maybe just clarify their career or their positioning in the Indian music industry specifically, besides these more general and more vague terms that are being thrown around. Yeah, you know, so I was talking to uh, one of the heads of a big label here, one of the major labels, and he was like, oh, I want you to help help me come up with a new term because I mean, non-film obviously is kind of inadequate. And I think non-film is really sort of a synonym for commercially oriented pop music. I mean, I think one of the reasons why they're just simply not calling it indie pop is because we had an indie pop scene back in the 1990s and early sort of 2000s, which sort of was cannibalized by Bollywood. And so they want to differentiate it from that. The difference now is that this sort of non-film music is now finding an audience thanks mainly to audio streaming services. And if I can think a piece that I'm writing in the future, it's from Music Ally, and it basically talks about this whole sort of non-film phenomenon. But like to answer the question about like independent music, I think that the dividing line between non-film music and independent music is like, like I said in that piece, is also decided by language first. If you're singing and performing in Hindi or a regional language, that automatically sort of separates you from a whole bunch of independent artists that will never sort of get mainstream, be embraced by the mainstream in India. I mean, there obviously will be exceptions perhaps, but I think it's first language and then maybe genre 
because obviously a metal band you haven't really had a like a hindi metal band really become huge uh you know you had rock bands that sing in say uh hindi rock bands or folk fusion bands folk fusion rock bands as they call them you've had like in hindi bengali there's a big bengali rock scene for instance and that's the regional language you have punjabi hip hop scene for instance you know so i think it's first language then genre and then you know after like more than whether it's about film or non film or whether you're on a label or whether you're independent it's primarily language and then it comes down to genre but like i said even genre is not that big it's really language that is that sort of that big dividing line and you know as as time goes by maybe you know you will have english singing artists being able to cross over to the mainstream but for now i mean that's basically how it is this this problematic non film is really like just essentially just commercial pop and you know related genres yeah that's super interesting and actually the last question i wanted to ask before the last segment is definitely related to this importance of language in determining an artist's popularity in india because one thing that i also heard a lot of people in the indian music industry say at least when i was visiting there was that more than many other countries in the world india just has so many different regional languages that a label or a streaming service would also have to account for in their product or content offering like when spotify launched i think there were seven or so different languages they had playlists in five languages i think i mean i think that's the, one of the main differences between indian streaming services or anywhere else in the world anywhere else in a world if you sign up to a streaming services they'll ask you for your genre preferences in india you ask for your language preferences it's become like a sort of a marketing tool right i mean you will hear we have 40 million songs and we have 40 million songs and we have 15 languages right right you, you hear that all the time so now i'm wondering do you think that that tendency towards more regional language preferences let alone regional music preferences even further complicates this question about the relevance of charts because what we've been suggesting throughout this whole conversation i think is that if you look at different regions of india that have different languages or different dialects people there are listening to very different music as well and subsequently artists popularity rankings are going to vary quite widely depending on where you are in the country so if you have a blanket chart trying to measure an artist's popularity in all of india it might be missing that kind of regional nuance yeah of course i mean if you just look at that the breakdown i did of the youtube top 100 songs you see there that like the difference in the representation of the languages uh, you'd see that for instance like besides bollywood and punjabi you know the third most subscribed indian music channel on youtube is not a bollywood channel it's a bhojpuri music channel it's a language uh, that's spoken in the north eastern parts of india it's also funnily enough a big pop market i mean i think 80% of that market is pop so uh, is everything an even playing field here probably not right bollywood that's always going to be the number one song but if you look at it the other way now if you look at uh, youtube earlier this year they put out the list of their 10 highest viewed videos in the first 6 months of 2019 and there were two indian music videos on the list neither of them was a bollywood song one was a tamil film song called rowdy baby which was in number 3 and there was another hindi pop song called vaaste which is number 9 that shows you that look i mean it's it's not just bollywood that's like amongst the most viewed or the most consumed music in this country like i said i mean if you if you treat it bollywood like you treat any other sort of genre like country music is never going to be it's rarely ever in the top 10 of like the hot 
So you can sort of almost take like, you know, another language as an equivalent of country music. Bhojpuri is spoken in some of the like most populated states in the country. So you're going to get a lot of people from there. You know, all that you have to take all of that into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. So in the interest of time, I do want to move on to our regular over-underrated segment. And actually, I think the topics that both of us have in mind are super relevant to this entire conversation we've already been having about everything going on in India. So I would love for you to start first with whatever you had in mind. One of the most underrated pieces, and I don't know whether underrated is the right term, but like it was this piece that Elias from Rolling Stone wrote about uh, how payola is still prevalent in the U.S. amongst radio stations and how it's just taken on different forms. And I was just surprised that it didn't get more follow-up pieces. And I think that's really interesting, but I think that it's probably happening everywhere across the world. You know, I know for sure that it happens in India. You know, we're talking about independent artists and like, you'll hear label executives say stuff like, oh, we were number one on the radio chart and you, the radio chart is something that you just cannot game, unlike YouTube. But on the other hand, uh, I've heard from independent artists and you truly independent artists like we were discussing. And they have said that, look, every time they've approached a radio station, radio stations have told them flat out, look, you have to play us, pay us if you want us, to, you want us to play your music. So it's not that Payola doesn't exist. And I wish that the, there were more follow-up pieces done for the story. And even just in the US or like, uh, you know, just to sort of get deeper into it. This is a pretty, uh, pretty uh, comprehensive story, but like just to sort of follow up on it would have been interesting. Yeah. I also noticed that it wasn't really as widely shared as it maybe should have yeah, been. Yeah, how many record labels are going to share a story like that? <laughs> yeah, that's a, a really big factor, actually. So there are a couple other things I'm thinking about around the story. So at least in the U.S., a lot of people in the music industry are aware that payola still happens in some form, in terms of labels paying radio stations directly. But there's another uh, separate but complementary element of labels having the budget to take streaming executives or streaming curators and DJs out to very fancy dinners or, you know, to give them a VIP ticket to a nice show. And that isn't payola per se. It's, it's a form it, of payola, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. you know, as journalists, you're constantly sort of people will want to, you know, give you a free meal. People want to like send you gifts. I mean, it's something that we as journalists face too. And like, you know, the only way to get around that is just to have like a blanket, no gift, no whatever lunch policy and like but it's difficult i mean i don't know how many people actually are able to say no to stuff like that because it's very tempting but the point is uh, you take the free lunch but you don't you ultimately the decision is up to you right i mean uh, and that's i think that's the, that's the thing and then if you, if that repeatedly happens people are going to stop taking you out for lunch so, exactly yeah <laughs> exactly know. and i'm kind of thinking out loud right now but i also wonder how this relates to the reason why artists would or would not even want to sign to major labels in the first place. Especially in the US, one of the top reasons in favor of signing is that a major label is still one of the only ways that you can get played on terrestrial radio or get a high-profile broadcast TV placement. Obviously, independent artists have gotten those slots before, but a lot of the time it is still coming from the major label world. And to my knowledge, the majority of a standard marketing budget within a major record deal is still going to these really mass market broadcast channels like radio and TV. And I wonder what it would be like if that were flipped in terms of the majority of a marketing budget going to digital sources like streaming and social media instead of to radio and TV. 
I wonder if that would actually be better for the artist. Or maybe this is just a legacy thing in which artists are actually excited about being on the radio, regardless of its actual impact or, you know, what it takes to pull that off ethically. And they just accept that that's where most of their budget is going to go. I think in India, it's sort of slightly different because you've never really had support from mainstream media if you are an independent artist. It sort of really doesn't apply there. Obviously, you'd want to sort of get, say, you want to get playlisted on like streaming services. So it really depends on a case-to-case basis. For instance, like Apple Music here has a very good relationship with um, independent music, uh, independent um, artists. And Geo Savan also sort of has this platform called Artist Originals where they work with a lot of South Asian artists. So if you're an independent artist, you know that basically these are the two streaming services that you need to sort of be in touch with, you know, because that's where you have the highest chances of getting some kind of attention. You're never going to get at the front page of whatever the the Times of India supplement, unless you pay for it anyway. So, uh, you know, that's kind of not even your, uh, that's not, not even where you are. I mean, you, you don't look at that at all. Right, exactly. The piece of news that I had in mind is interesting because I think it's underrated, but I actually don't think it's anything new at all for India. If anything, it's actually how the Indian music industry has been operating for years, but it's still considered quite new and unconventional in the U.S., And so what I had in mind is that I've noticed more and more U.S. filmmakers and production companies are launching their own record labels. In 2018, the film producer J.J. Abrams' production company, Bad Robot Productions, launched a label called Loud Robot. And according to a press release, the label operates independently from the production company, but I think there are some potential collaboration opportunities there in terms of syncing Loud Robot's music into Bad Robot's films. And actually, one of my favorite up-and-coming artists in the U.S. right now, her name is Umi. And she released her latest EP with Loud Robot, and she did it in a way that she called uh, episodic, which I think is super fascinating, and it worked really well. So what Umi did is that she released a separate short film on YouTube to accompany each song in her EP. And she dropped these films week after week with a final video and the full EP coming out on October 30th of this year. The videos combine animation and live action and are really well made and when I looked at the descriptions of the videos on YouTube, surprise surprise, I saw that Bad Robot Productions was officially credited in all of them. And it totally makes sense that Loud Robot would invest this much in high quality visual content for its artists, given that its parent company has the resources, the chops, and the network to do the job. And uh, just last Friday, as of recording this on October 18th, the actress and producer Issa Rae from Insecure also launched her own label, and hers in particular is a joint venture with Atlantic Records. I think she'll be signing primarily hip-hop acts to her label based on the artists already featured in the official announcement. I should also mention that Loud Robot under J.J. Abrams is partnered with Capitol Records on administration and distribution. So there are a couple of interesting layers here. One is this fact that major labels are involved in both of these ventures I just mentioned. On one hand, it makes sense for the film industry to partner with incumbents in the music industry on administration and on managing catalog. And from the major label side, I think there's a general conversation happening around how labels need to provide a different kind of value in the streaming age compared to, say, 10 to 15 years ago. In particular, there's just so much noise out there on streaming services that increasingly what will actually make fans remember you as an artist is if you can be seen, if there's some sort of visual to go along with your music 
on a consistent basis. Obviously, that's been the case historically through music videos, but there's a pressure to do that on a much more frequent and much more scaled basis today. TikTok, I think, is totally part of this trend. And so an increasingly urgent requirement from the major label side is to invest in or partner with companies that have deep expertise in making and marketing great visual media. So I see this kind of partnership with film companies as one potential way of approaching that. And it's also kind of traveling in the inverse direction from what's happening in India, I think, where for years the local film industry had been dominating the local music industry from the standpoints of marketing and distribution. And now with the rise of audio streaming services, local labels are grappling with how they could potentially separate themselves from films and grow sustainably in an audio-first streaming economy. So yeah, I just thought that was a super interesting trend that's come up that's kind of in parallel with what's happening in India, but also tackling the same world of music and film from an opposite angle. It's very new, in fact, actually, even in India, to have like, for instance, I mean, the kind of people that you mentioned to sort of start up their own production companies. I mean, you're seeing this, for instance, you're having both things happen. For instance, like T-Series, which is like the biggest Bollywood music label here, is going into film production. So that's kind of like the reverse of it, where they economically make sense, you know, rather than sort of buying the rights to a soundtrack, they simply produce some film themselves, and then you know, all the music is, is there, is just sort of produced in-house anyway. And then also it's, Related to this is the whole trend of them sort of rehashing old songs that's happening in India where you have a lot of the remakes or remixes of old songs being used in new films. At the same time, you have like people like Ranveer Singh, this actor, starting his sort of hip-hop label. He's also sort of getting into things because he loves hip-hop. He was a star of Gully Boy. His work in the hip-hop series sort of preceded Gully Boy. He was part of, uh, he was a brand ambassador, uh, this clothing brand called Jack and Jones, which is I think the Danish clothing brand, but so they did this advertising campaign where he featured, where they had this contest where people could rap with him on a track. You're seeing it happening in different ways. I think that people have realized that look, you can't just be uh, you. You have to have all the sort of avenues available to you. You know, like I said, TikTok is huge here. Uh, you know, TikTok was a big part of like the Bacha camp, Bagel campaign, which we were talk, we've been discussing. It, it also depends on, I think, where an artist comes from. You have some artists who are sort of really come from a really sort of have a strong visual aesthetic. So they want to sort of have a entire package built around that. You know, whether that's in the form of a video or whether that's from in the form of design, uh, stage setup. The idea is just that you know, you need to sort of, as an artist, you're not just releasing a song nowadays, you're releasing an audio-visual experience, <laughs> you know. Right, and that multimedia offering at a higher level is becoming the imperative for artists' success around the world, I think. It just manifests in different forms when you look on the local level. So to close, I wonder if there's anything you're working on right now that you'd want to promote or talk about. You mentioned you're working on this piece for Music Ally. Is there anything else that might be coming out soon that you want people to know about? Yeah, I mean, the first post column, I think I talk about whatever's happening currently. And I think that if anybody wants to know about the Indian music industry, that's a good sort of starting point. They're not behind a paywall or anything like that. And I've sort of like spoken about a whole bunch of things about about the scene here, whether it's like the independent music scene and how that works, uh, a lot about sort of charts and 
you know indian music charts and how they work and the whole like the live music scene here which is again a whole different ball game that's like sort of twice a month it's slightly erratic when the pieces come out but like uh, yeah that's that's twice a month awesome and yeah i'll say that your column and your writing in general uh, has been super helpful for me over the last several months in terms of learning more about the indian music industry and keeping up to tabs with the latest trends so if you're listening definitely go read amit's column amit thank you so much again for joining for this conversation yeah i know it was really interesting it's great to sort of like and it's really rare to get the opportunity to chat with another music journalist so, you know. yeah totally let alone with another music journalist from halfway around the world yeah i mean if we um, make another visit soon i mean this is an exciting place yes i'll be <laughs> back soon for sure Thank you so much for listening to episode 14 of the Water and Music podcast. If you like what you heard, I would greatly appreciate a positive review on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, or show of support on any other listening platform of your choice. If you'd like to follow similar conversations about music and tech in written form, I write a weekly newsletter on those topics that you can subscribe to by visiting bit.ly slash waterandmusic. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash water and music, all spelled out and all in lowercase. Again, really appreciate you listening and I will see you next time. Thank you.